Well, this morning's reading, uh, we start in Daniel chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 19. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet, for completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from thy commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to thy servants, the prophets, who spoke in thy name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to thee, O Lord, but to us open shame, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, in all the countries to which thou hast driven them, because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against thee. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he has set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed thy law and turned aside, not obeying thy voice. So the curse has been poured out on us along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us, to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to thy truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who has brought thy people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has made a name for thyself as it, as it is to this day. We have sinned. We have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all thy righteous acts, let now thine anger and thy wrath turn away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, for because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplications. For thy sake, O Lord, let thy face shine upon thy desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. 
Open thine eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by thy name, for we are not presenting our supplications before thee on account of any merits of our own, but on account of thy great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For thine own sake, O my God, do not delay, because thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Thanks, Jim. Can you hit the button on the, yeah, there you go, for the message. There we go, we'll bring the lights up. See, technology is wonderful until it fails to be, and then it gets in the way and you hate it. But when it works, you never pay attention to it, it just is there, so um, good morning. Um, let me open us in prayer and then we'll turn to the word. Uh, Lord, uh, we pray for the Crumrise as they're um, in Atlanta this week. Pray your blessing on them that they'd have uh, uh, good relaxing time, time with family, uh, time to refresh. Um, Lord, we thank you for the sale of their home. We pray that that uh, would be just another sign of your blessing on them as they're, they're moving to uh, New Jersey and the road that you have before them. Thank you for the time we got to enjoy them and for uh, the fellowship, the friendship, uh, the closeness that we enjoyed with them. And we pray your blessing on them as they go. We pray for Kayla as she's getting ready to head off to college. Lord, would you keep her in your hand, uh, keep her secure, hold her close to you, and remind her regularly that you love her and you care for her. Father, praying for uh, Kyle and Anne Marie's wedding. Uh, we pray that that would be a blessing to uh, them as a couple and to their families. And uh, we are uh, grateful that uh, we get to watch this happen. And thank you for what you've done in them. Father, we want to pray for. Um, the Pacific Northwest, which is having a, um, a severe heat wave, worse than uh, than they were used to. And uh, Lord, we're used to the heat, but they're getting the humidity as well. And so we pray your mercy on them. Lord, would you move people to compassion to house people who uh, don't have air conditioning or um, places to, to get out of the heat? We pray that you would uh, motivate your church there to provide water and, and, uh, and care for people who might be suffering through this. And uh, Lord, lead them through that, we ask. Uh, Father, we want to pray for uh, Chris Crawford's upcoming wedding as well. And uh, this, this next week, uh, what a joyful occasion. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would bless him, him and Katie with a long and a uh, Christ-honoring marriage, a, a union that would um, cause them great joy in each other and uh, lead them to greater service to you, we ask. And uh, Lord, now we need you to be with us in your word. Uh, we, we can't figure this out. We can't understand it ourselves. But Lord, Holy Spirit, you can show us what it means. And so would you be with us as we turn to your word? And uh, Lord, I ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. In 1833, so a little while ago, there was a young man named Jeremiah Lanfear. And he lived in New York City, and he went into business making clothes. He had been working in the textile industry and, and clothing industry for a while. But in 1833, he and a partner decided they want to start their own business. And so they moved into lower Manhattan, and they began in a business that was called uh, the ready-made line. So that's how we buy clothes today, right? We go, and, and this is the size. So these were clothes that were ready-made that weren't tailored. 
And so he thought he had a chance to, to make the business go. But unfortunately, he declared bankruptcy in 1842. So he gave it a good shot. Um, but that wasn't kind of the end of his story. By his own admittance, he said that he was not a Christian at the time, but he went to church and he sang in choirs. Different times, huh? <laughs> he, he was not a Christian, but he went to church and he sang in choirs. One of the choirs that he sang and one of the churches that he attended was the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And the Brooklyn Tabernacle had a history with revivals. And so while Jeremiah was attending and singing at that church, he became aware of his need for Jesus Christ and he became a believer, he became a Christian. And so uh, he, after his business folded, he continued to work in textiles for a while, but by all accounts, Jeremiah was just a natural evangelist. Very pleasant face, easy to talk to, very outgoing, that kind of a person. So in 1857, uh, a church hired him to be what they call a lay missionary. It was the North Dutch Church in, uh, in Manhattan. And what his goal was, what they hired him to do, is they wanted him to go to the hotels in the area and reach the transients who were living in these hotels. So why were there transients in hotels in this area so much that they would hire somebody to reach them? Well, because in 1847, there was a panic and a run on the banks. The, the US economy had all sorts of weird things going on, and it collapsed. So in 1847, there's a run on the banks, and there was a depression for probably about five or six years after that. So a lot of people were out of work. So Jeremiah did what you would expect an evangelist to do. He did all the things that, that should work. He would go around, and he'd pass out tracts to people and talk with them. He, he talked with businesses. He'd go to the hotels and say, well, if any of your folks are asking about churches, please tell them about our church. We'd love them to, to have them come. He invited children to Sunday school. He did all of these things, and he just saw very little fruit from it. Very few people were connecting with it. So there was one day where he's walking down the street in New York City, and it just kind of hit him. What if we pray? What if we just get together and pray? And, you know, the church that he was attached to that had hired him, they had a number of big rooms in their facility for Sunday school that weren't used during the week. And so Jeremiah said, what if we have once a week a prayer meeting from noon to one. And we'll say that the rules are, you can come and go as you please. It's, you don't have to be there the whole time. Show up when you can, leave when you have to. Prayers will be limited to five minutes. So if you pray longer than five minutes, we'll ask you to wrap it up. And no controversial subjects. Don't pray about politics or doctrine or any of that. We're just gonna get together and pray. And so he printed up some flyers and he handed them out to the businesses in the area, inviting people to come on Wednesday and pray with him. So on September 23rd, 1847, or 1857, I'm sorry, his first meeting took place. And so Jeremiah showed up and he sat down in the room alone and he started praying. And he prayed for about 10 minutes and nobody was there. And he prayed for 15 minutes, and nobody was there. 20 minutes, nobody's there. Finally, at about the halfway point, around about uh, 1230, he hears a few footsteps coming up the hallway. And a couple people came in and sat down and began to pray with him. By the end of the hour, at 1 o'clock when they wrapped it up, there were six people in the room praying. And he was fine with that. That was, that was a great thing. The next week, there were 20 people. The week after that, there were 40 people. And so at that point, he said, well, maybe we need to do this week every day. This continued on and on. It kept growing until at its height, 
they had to take over the entire building and they had almost 3,000 people joining them for prayer for one hour, come and go as you please, limit to five minutes, no controversial subjects. It was called the, the Businessman's Revival and it was a huge success. Um, now that was at its peak and it tapered off and the numbers dwindled, but uh, Jeremiah continued to pray. And as a matter of fact, they have a monument to him in front of where the Dutch church used to be. The North Dutch church isn't there anymore. But there's a man sitting on a park bench with a Bible in one hand and his other hand extended, inviting you to come and sit and pray with him. And it's just amazing what can happen when God's people pray. Um, now, Jeremiah's own pastor said this did not start the revival. The revival was already started by the time he started praying. But it was certainly part of it. It was certainly a component of it. And so what you can see is what counts in prayer is not so much how many people or how eloquent or, or how long they pray, but if you'll just pray. And so that's, that's the message we're going to learn today from Daniel. And we're going to look at Daniel chapter 9, the first part of it. And we're going to listen to a godly man pray. We're going to lean over his shoulder and listen as he prays. And now when I was studying this, one of the commentators said, Daniel's beautiful prayer is not a model for Christian prayer, but a unique prayer for a specific time in redemptive history. And, and I think he's right. I think there's, there's a, a way that when we look at Daniel's prayer, we can't just pick it up and pray it for ourselves. Uh, for example, at the time Daniel did this, Israel was in exile. They had been kicked out of their own land, and they were taken away captive to Babylon. The church is not in exile. We're not. We are sojourners. We're more comparable to Abraham wandering through Canaan. One day we'll inherit this, but not now. And so we're not in exile. Um, Israel was in exile because they had violated God's covenant repeatedly. And it wasn't just a one-off. They had done this for years, and then God brought judgment on them. The church will never suffer that cause because we've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And so our sins are taken care of. And then finally, God had given Israel a unique promise, which we'll see in the, in the text today. Through the prophet Jeremiah, he said, you're going to go into exile, and your exile will be 70 years, and at the end of 70 years, I will bring you back. We don't have that promise. We've been told, Jesus warned us. He said, nobody knows the day or the hour of my return. So we don't know when our sojourn ends. So I think the commentator is exactly right. We can't just pick this, this text up and say, let's pray this. But he's also wrong. Because what we can do is we can lean over this godly man's shoulder and listen to how he prays. How did you learn how to pray? Where did you pick it up? Because that's what you do is you generally pick it up. You, you pick it up from people who pray better than you. And by better than you, I don't mean... Uh, lofty eloquence and, and long exposition and these and thous and all of that. Um, some prayers like that are wonderful. But if you learn to pray from crew in Santa Monica, you might pray like, well, Jesus, I'm glad you showed up. And that would be an eloquent prayer. So where did you learn to pray? Because you learned it from somebody. And so this morning what we want to do is, is listen to Daniel and say, Daniel, teach us how to pray. Maybe not what to pray, but how to pray. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, we can't claim Daniel's uh, uh, promises. America is not Israel. So we can't claim it for our nation, but we can listen to what, the, what he does in that. 
So that's what we're going to do. Now, Daniel was definitely a man of prayer. If we've learned anything from the book of Daniel so far, it's that the man prayed. In chapter 2, he prayed that God would show him what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was and the interpretation of it, and God did. In chapter 6, remember chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den? How did they catch him? How did they get him snagged? They said, well, we're going to make prayer illegal. They, that was how they were going to catch the great man, is, is catch him praying, and that's exactly what happened. And so both of those prayers that we have recorded of Daniel, God answered them. And what we'll see this morning is God is going to answer this one. So let's go ahead and take a look at the text. Daniel, uh, right at the beginning, it starts with, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So it's in the first year of Darius. Remember, last chapter was in the third year of Belshazzar. And the, year, the week before that, it was the first year of Belshazzar. So we get another time marker. Um, I want to do a little technical note on who is Darius because it, it makes a little bit of a difference. It's not a techni huge technical issue, but it is a question because what had happened was Belshazzar was the regent of Babylon. And then when Babylon was attacked, uh, Nabonidus came, the real king came and returned and fought the battle and lost. And so a general came in and took over until Cyrus showed up. So if we're talking about Darius, it's another maybe 25 years after Cyrus that we get to Darius I, which would make Daniel incredibly old at this point, ancient, like 120 or so. So without going to all the technical details, make it really quick, Darius and Cyrus are the same guy. Two different names for the same dude. Now, how on earth is that possible? Because we, were gonna, we'll, we know that Darius is a Mede. That was mentioned in chapter 5, verse 31, here, and then it's mentioned again in 11.1. Darius is a Mede. He is from Media. Cyrus, meanwhile, is a Persian. We saw that in chapter 6, verse 28. So how can one guy have two names and two different nationalities? Well, people in the Bible have more than one name quite often. Jacob, what else do we call Jacob? Israel. What, what, would, what would we call Peter? Simon, Peter, Cephas. So he could have multiple names. So the idea is maybe this guy has multiple names. Um, how can he have two nationalities? How can he be both a Mede and a Persian? Well, first of all, the, the empire that he rules is the Medo-Persian Empire. They united the two. But what's really telling is that Darius... His father and his mother were Mede and Persian. He was from two different marriages. Now, the part that I think cinches it up is right in front of us. It says that Darius is a Mede by descent, but he's the son of Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus is a Persian name. So Darius is the son of a Persian who is also a Mede. So that, that's kind of the nutshell. I think we're talking about the same guy, Cyrus. So that puts it back closer to the fall of um, Belshazzar. Okay, technical stuff out of the way. Not super important. Now, beginning in verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the words of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So what, what Daniel is saying is he has been studying the Bible. He's been looking at the scriptures. Now, at this point, the, the canon of the Old Testament wasn't set yet. There were still books being written. But Daniel recognizes Jeremiah was a prophet. 
And, and they may have overlapped. They may have been alive at the same time. And he's looking at, Dan, at Jeremiah's writings and he's treating them as if they're scripture. They're part of the books. They're part of the writings. And so he's reading Jeremiah's prophecy. And he, he says that it is 70 years that they're going to be in exile. Now, Daniel was taken into exile as a young man, probably a teenager. And if it's coming up on 70 years now, he's in his 80s. And so that kind of all lines up. So he's looking at this, he's reading the scriptures, he's studying the Bible, and he hears this promise of God that 70 years is it. And he knows that he's coming up on the end of that. So the first thing that we see Daniel do is he's studying God's word. He's familiar with it. He has been looking into it. Um, he knows what the promises are. So here are the promises from Jeremiah, uh, verse, chapter 25. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are complete, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making them a land of everlasting waste. 70 years, right there. And he, he comes up again in, in chapter 29. Um, he says the same thing, 70 years are appointed. And then he's going to bring them down. Isn't that what happened? The Chaldeans had come down, taken Israel out of the land, and they've been ruling, and now the Medes come in and take over. And the Medes are going to be the ones that return uh, them to uh, the promised land. We'll see that in a little bit. So when we look at Daniel's prayer... And we say, how, teach us how to pray here, Daniel. The first thing we notice is he is looking at and reading God's promise. God had promised this. And that promise is what's going to fuel his prayer. That's what's going to feed him and lead him to pray. So when we pray, if we pray God's promises, we know that he's going to answer that prayer. It's a sure thing. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we asked of him. You have a biblical promise here. If you pray according to God's will, 100% guaranteed it's going to happen. So how do you know if you're praying according to God's will? Well, the way Daniel did is he looked at the Bible. He said, what did God promise? What is the promise for us? Oh, that we're going to be out 70 years and then we're coming home. Let me pray that promise. And he knows, he's sure, he's positive that God is going to answer that. So when you're starting to think about, I want to really work on my prayer life, I would love to be a better prayer, the first thing to do is turn to the scriptures and learn the promises. Hear what God is promising you because you know you know if, he, if you pray, Lord, you promise this and I want you to fulfill it, he's going to do it. But make sure it's a promise. <laughs> make sure it's a promise to you. Um, just because there's a promise in the Bible may not be yours. For example, one of the most popular ones you hear uh, um, in Christian kind of circles is Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And if my people who are called by name, my name will turn, I will heal their land. Wonderful prayer. Does not apply to America. It just isn't our promise. That's Jeremiah 29, 11. 29.10 says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will visit you. The context is, it's for Israel. It's not for us. 
So be careful when you're looking at the promises. Just because you find a nice sentence doesn't mean it's necessarily a promise for you. So if that's a bad example, what are some good examples? Give, give me something here. Here's a, here's a handful, just a few that I, I thought of. Um, Philippians 4.19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply all your needs. He gets to define what your needs are, but he will supply all your needs. 2 Corinthians 9.8. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God has promised you. He has made a solemn promise to you that he will make grace abound to you so that you will abound in every good work. Do you want more in your life? Do you want to be doing more in your life? Here's a promise. Hang on to this promise. Pray this back to God. God, I want that. You said you would do that in me. Would you make that a reality? Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's a promise that when you're being threatened, when things aren't going well, when somebody is intimidating you, is you can pray that promise and say, God said he would never leave or forsake me. I can hang on to that. So what in the world can human beings do to me? Only what comes through the hands of my gracious God. That's a promise to hold on to. Psalm 84, verse 11. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That's a promise you can hang on to. Lord, I'm following after you. I'm chasing after you. Now, anything that comes to me is a good thing because no good thing will be denied to me. That's when Jesus told the parable about you who are evil. If your son comes and asks for a loaf of bread, are you going to give him a scorpion? Well, how much greater would your father give you what's good? There's a promise to hold on to that explains that. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Jesus Christ died for you. He gave the greatest gift that could ever exist, his own son, for your behalf. How will he withhold anything from you that's not good, or that's good? And one last one, Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me in a day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. That's a good promise to hang on to in a day of trouble when things are really difficult, like a Sunday morning when the technology is not working great is to hang on to that and say, Lord, in this day of trouble, in this time of struggling, I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to find a way to make your name glorious even in this day of trouble. So that's what we're learning right off the bat from Daniel is he's looked at the Bible, he's read the promises, and he's praying those promises back. But we don't have to just repeat those promises. We can look at the, the Bible and find them. And then we can listen to how others have prayed these things. Listen to the prayers of Paul or Peter or Elijah or Daniel and see how they do those things. Let the Bible inform and shape your prayers. That's exactly what's happening here. John Piper in a, a message, How to Pray for a Desolate Church. Um, I don't quite agree with that title, but um, he makes an excellent point. He said, Daniel's prayer begins with the Bible and it is saturated with the Bible. Phrase after phrase comes right out of Scripture. 
There are allusions to Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Exodus and Psalms and Jeremiah. The prayer brims with a world, biblical view of reality because it brims with the Bible. So step one in reforming your prayer life, bake your brain in scripture. Know the scriptures, pray the scriptures. You can pray them back to God. And then the next thing that, that Daniel shows us is you have to work to set your heart on God. It's not easy. Listen to what Daniel does. Verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, pleas for mercy, fasting, and sackcloth and ashes. He, he says, I turned my face to God. Not I was turned, or I sat around and waited until I felt like it. And remember last, year, last week we talked about the word face in Hebrew means more than just the skin on the front of your skull. It's your, your attitude, your, your thoughts, your, your approach, who you are. I turned my face to God. I, I set my face on him. I wanted to do this. And so Daniel is taking strides. I want to feel like it. I'm going to pray because I know that's the right thing to do. Pray against prayerlessness. Pray until you pray. And, and, and do it intentionally. You have to do it on purpose. Now, you remember in the story of the lion's den when Daniel got busted for praying? Why did he get busted for praying? Because he opened the window three times a day and faced Jerusalem and prayed. So perhaps that was, that's what he's talking about by setting my face to God as he's looking towards Jerusalem. But it has to have much more meaning than that. It is an intentionality. It is a purpose. He's doing it with intention. Now the next thing, the next part of intentionality is Daniel scheduled his times of prayer. He did this on purpose, and he did it according to a schedule. So he says that he was fasting when he prayed. Um, not eating while you're praying is not fasting. That doesn't count. Fasting is taking a prolonged period of time of abstaining for food so that you can focus on prayer. So Daniel had been thinking about this since the morning at least. And he said, I'm not going to eat today, I'm going to pray. And so that's intentionality. That's saying I'm scheduling this time of prayer. Now, when is he praying? We didn't get that because we didn't read all the way through, but um, what we find out is in verse 21, he prayed during the evening offering. Verse 21 says, While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in a vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening prayer, the evening sacrifice. So I think what might be happening here is, is Daniel is, is remembering the time for the morning and the evening sacrifice in the temple. And he's praying during those times, and including maybe a lunchtime prayer as well, because he was praying three times a day in chapter 6. So that's, again, that, that intentionality, that focus, that, that I'm going to do this kind of thing. So surely he prayed throughout the day. You know, those little pop-up prayers, that's the best word I can think of. You know, where you just need something. Lord, I cannot find my glasses. Oh, here they are. Um, those kinds of things. Those kind of prayers are perfectly fine. There's, they're, they're right. They're good. You should call on the Lord at all times. But those kind of prayers need to be rooted in that intentional prayer, that time you set aside and you focus on. Because out of that will grow those kind of prayers. Out of that will come that. So that's what he's doing is he's praying intentionally. He's doing it on purpose. He's he's challenging himself to pray and calling himself to pray. You have to be intentional about it. 
Verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Step one, when he gets down to pray, is he reminds himself who God is. That is part of his prayer. And isn't that what Jesus said? Our Father who is in heaven, holy be your name. We start our prayer with God. Daniel does that here. Daniel begins his prayer time by reminding himself of God's character. God keeps covenant. God is a covenant-keeping God. When he makes a covenant, a covenant is an agreement where he promises he's going to do something. And why does God have to make a promise? To bind himself? What he says he's going to do, he's going to do, period. He makes a covenant for us. So we can hear God said he's going to do this for us, and, and he sealed it in a covenant. That's a promise that we can hang on to. So God keeps his covenant. That was true in Daniel's day. That's true in our day. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That's the new covenant that he made with us, is I am going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. It's not breakable. He made a new covenant. It's not like the old covenant. It's, it's this new one, and it's made in Christ's blood. So it is rock solid. So we may be faithless, but he never will be. He will be faithful to us. He keeps covenant. Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Not because you're so great, but because God is a covenant-keeping God. And God keeps steadfast love. That's that, that Hebrew word that's hard to translate, chesed, which is covenant love, binding love, stubborn love, commitment beyond reason. And that's what's happened for us. God in our time likewise keeps steadfast love. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He keeps his steadfast love. 1 John 4.10, and in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. God is a covenant-keeping God, and he is steadfast in love. Remind yourself of that as you approach him in prayer. He is not a stubborn, curmudgeonly tightwad who doesn't want to answer. He is committed to you. He is committed in love. So what Daniel says is that God is who keeps covenant and steadfast love, and then he adds the, the, uh, the qualifier, with those who love him and keep his commandments. Now, in the old covenant, that meant something different than it does in the new. Um, because they didn't keep his commandments, they got chased out of the land of Israel. For the church, that means something slightly different. Listen to what it means. John chapter 6, verse 8. Then they said to him, they said to Jesus, What must we do to do the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So how do we do the works of God? How do we keep his commandments? This is my commandment, that you love one another. That's how we keep his commandments. Now, since God is faithful and loving and Daniel has reflected on that, he has, to, he has to think about, he has to ponder about why they're in exile. Because he's, he's counting on God's covenant love. God didn't turn his way from his people. He didn't go, forget it, man, I'm out of here. He sent them into exile. And so there's a long section of 
Daniel confessing the sins of his people. But listen to how he says it. Does he say, I and they, making a separation? I have always been faithful, Lord. You know, I have, there's no indication here that I've done anything wrong. But they, they really stink. No, listen to how he says it. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to the kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day, to all the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery they have committed against you. To us, Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we've rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of our Lord, walking in his laws, since he has set before us servants and prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. We, I, he doesn't say I did this or they did that, it's us. As he's praying and he's confessing his sin, he is, he is counting himself in that whole thing. Even though he was a teenager when he went into exile. They rebelled. Now, we, we have to be careful with this. Because when we look at this, you can't just pick that up and use it as a template for how you should pray for our country. The, America is not Israel. America is not the new Israel. America is Syria and Egypt and Babylon and all the other nations. Israel is Israel. So don't pray this for America. Israel had a unique promise to them that God would punish them for their sins, and then bring them back into the land. America has no promise in the Bible that God will do anything, that he will corporately forgive us. It's not how the new covenant works. Now, what we do have is we have his promise that individually he will forgive us, that he will restore us, that he will preserve us, he will make us his people. But we don't have that promise if we stand up and go, Lord, I'm confessing the sins of America. We don't have the promise that God says, well, then I'll restore America and make them great. That, that's not in there. So be really careful with this. Now, do, what I'm saying is, is that don't pray for America. No, by all means, pray for America. This land needs a healing. We're in a bad way. The fact that we have had abortion, the way it has gone in America for so long, is a tremendous stain on our, our society. That is a huge sin. And we should be praying, God, end that. Forgive us for that sin. Lead us to care for the poor and the needy and, and to make abortion something that just seems un, unreasonable. But don't claim America, these promises for America. The impetus is on the church. We need to be doing these things that we may bless this nation. So be careful with that. Now here's an example of Daniel praying more for scripture more scripture, because now it shows up in the middle of his prayer, not just at the beginning, not to facilitate it, but he brings it up here. Verse 12, he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled, up, uh, who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been anything done like what has been done to Jerusalem, as it is written in the law of Moses. 
Now he's going to turn and he's going to look at scripture and he's going to pray scripture. As it is written in the law of Moses, all of this calamity came upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of our Lord God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight into your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity that has come upon us, for the Lord God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself at this day, we have sinned and done wickedly. What he's referring to here is Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, where God promised during the, ex or during the Exodus, when they left Egypt, before they even arrived in Canaan, he said, when you disobey, I'm going to send you out of the land. That's the curse. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about Deuteronomy 28, the same thing. This is what's going to happen when you disobey. So he's praying that scripture. He's got that in mind. He says, we did not entreat the favor of the Lord our God, turning for our iniquities and gaining insight into your truth. God's curses and threats were laid out before them. This is what's going to happen. He was abundantly clear, and they didn't listen. They wouldn't read the scripture. They didn't trust that what he said would happen. And so this is how Daniel is praying. He's saying, we made that mistake. Lord, forgive us. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. The Lord God is righteous in all the works he has done. Do you see the two things laying side by side? God brought the calamity. God is righteous. In other words, what Daniel's doing here is he's agreeing with God. We deserve that punishment. And you are righteous for doing it. So how much more for us then? Because when we, we don't look at the nation being chased out of the land, we look to God sending his only begotten son, the most precious thing to God in all of beyond creation, sending him to the earth to die for the sins of his people so that the sins would be forgotten. You are righteous, and yet you don't turn away from the calamity. He, he's dealt with it. He's done something to do that. So Daniel is looking at this, and he's counting on God's character He's recognizing Israel's sin. He's remembering God's word that promised punishment for sin, but also restoration. And now Daniel calls on God to be faithful to his promises as he has been to his curses. Verse 17, Now therefore, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine on your sanctuary, for it's desolate. Notice Daniel doesn't come and say, God, you owe us. Or, God, we can make a great deal here. We, if you just bring us back, we, we'll get this stuff sorted out, and we'll, we'll have even better temple than it was before. None of that. What is the basis for his hope? What is the basis for him appealing to God to do the right thing? For your own sake, Lord. Now, that's the basis for that. So is, is God so self-centered and just so greedy that he's like, you're going to have to talk me into it. What am I getting out of this deal? Oh, okay, well, I'll get something out of this, you know, because it's for my sake, so I'll do it. There, there's no tension between God working for his own sake and our blessing and, and our, our joy, our, 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 our blessedness. Because what God has ordained is he said, I am going to bring great glory to my name. I'm going to show all of creation how wonderful I am. And now for a human being, that would be extraordinarily vain to say. But for the creator of the universe 
It's an appropriate thing to say. Now, how is he going to do that? What is he going to do to bring that, that glory and that, um, that uh, uh, fame to his name? He's going to turn to his creation, and he's going to redeem humanity. So when God wants to glorify his name, it's not at our expense. It is at our blessing, because that's how he's going to show how generous, how great he is, how forgiving, how merciful how wrathful against sin and how he can extend that grace to anybody. It's for his own sake that he does this. That's a much firmer footing than to think, well, he's going to do it because I'm so good. Well, this week I'm good. Next week I'm not so great. Lord, for your own sake do this so that you will be shown to be who you really are. Show forth your, your, your glory, your mercy, your kindness to us. That's what it's like for God to do those things. It is to seek his own glory and our benefit at the same time in the same way. Now, the, the prayer concludes with Daniel in verse 19. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh, my God, because your city and your people are, are called by your name. How can Daniel turn to God and demand, Lord, hear. Lord, act. Lord, pay attention. Because he has this firm understanding, God has promised he would do that. God has said he would do that. And he looks and he says, you know what? The 70 years is pretty much up. That means God's on the verge of acting. He's, he's promised he would. And so at this point, I can be so bold as to tell God, please, now is the time. Now listen. Now do. Because I know he's already promised he would do that. Why? For your name's sake. That's how he's going to do it. So he can be that bold. He can be that, that presumptuous. How much more for us? We're praying and we have a high priest, not who, who sometimes had a good week and sometimes had a bad week. We have a high priest who's perfect, who has ascended not into a stone temple here on earth, but the real temple, the tabernacle in heaven where God himself sits. And this high priest didn't come in and then sneak back out really quick. Our high priest went in and sat down. We have a representative before God in his holy place in heaven. How much more bold can we be to go than into the, 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 parad- the, um, the, the place of glory and make our requests known? We have a high priest who's perfect. He's made it right. So if Daniel's bold, we can be even, even bolder. Provided we pray. And the way to pray, this is ground, you might want to write this part down. The way to pray is to pray. I'm not kidding. That's true. The way to pray is to pray. The way to do something is by doing it. So if you want to be a person of prayer, if you want to be a Daniel, plan it. Pray throughout the day. Pray those little prayers. You need a parking spot. You can't find the cereal on the cereal aisle. You're out of toilet paper. Whatever it is, pray. But root that in a time where you're saying, I'm going to take this time and set it aside first thing in the morning or in the evening, and I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to approach the the Lord in this time on purpose and pray. Bathe your mind in the scriptures. Grab onto those promises that he's made. Those are the prayers you know for 100% sure he's going to answer. And pray those. He may answer the parking spot. He may not. You know, Costco's a little crazy at some times of the day. But you know he will work to complete, he will work to finish the good work he's begun in you. Because he promised he would. So in not sending you that parking spot, maybe he's working on your 
patience and your mercy and letting somebody else get it or something like that. So pray those things. Do it intentionally. Know his word. Confess your sin. There is nobody who doesn't sin. And God's not surprised by it. He's not shocked. He knows it more in-depthly than you do. So you confess your sin for, his, for your sake, not for his, and know that he is faithful and true to forgive you. So what is the result of, of Daniel's prayer? I just want to touch on the next couple of verses because did God hear him? Did God answer? Well, let me just read the next verses. We're not going to touch them until next week. Starting in verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, so he's not done with his prayer. He hasn't said amen yet. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sins of my people, Israel, and presenting my plea before my God uh, for, his holy hill, for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in a vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. As soon as Daniel begins to pray, God's answer is, Gabriel, go now. And Gabriel takes off and flies to him to answer his prayer because he was greatly loved. If we're in Christ, we are greatly loved even more than Daniel because God loves his own son so much more. So that's the power of prayer. Now, how do we get this power in prayer? Where does it come from? Well, if we look back to uh, Jeremiah and we see what he did. Jeremiah, um, I drew a blank on his name. <laughs> Not the prophet, the guy I mentioned at the beginning. Lamphere. Uh, I put the P in the wrong place in my head. If we look back to Jeremiah Lamphere, what did he do? His prayer started alone. He was sitting in a room by himself for half an hour. Nobody else showed up. Did he start praying and go, well, it's been five minutes, I'm, I'm out of here. He just prayed. And then God brought more people, and God brought more people, and God brought more people. Daniel is praying alone. He is by himself, and he's offering up prayer. And the response to that is, like a lightning bolt, an angel is sent from heaven, poof, appears in his presence. You can pray alone, and it can be super powerful. Not because of you, not because of your piety or your righteousness, but because of a God who has fixed his love on you. A single person praying alone can be super powerful. And, and we may see something like what, what um, Jeremiah Lamphere saw, which is 3,000 people show up to pray. Or it might just be you, or six. But God hears and he answers these prayers. He heard Daniel praying. At the beginning of his prayer, he answered. How much more for us if we have Jesus Christ as our high priest, if we have the fullness has now come. So with that... Let's pray. Lord, there are so many things on our hearts and minds, so many concerns that we have, desires that we have. Um, Lord, we're, we're looking for a new worship leader, and we know that um, you will build your church, that you promised that you would build it up, and if we as a body of believers need a worship leader, Lord, you will send us the right person at the right time in the right way. And so we, we're counting on you to be faithful to your church. 
Lord, as we're emerging from a pandemic and the economy is kind of hazy at this point, Lord, we know that you will provide every good thing for us, that we will not be lacking, no matter what happens with the economy. If it tanks or if it soars, Lord, you'll provide for us. And Father, we've seen this repeatedly over and over again. Just in the Kermarais selling their house, you've shown that you will provide. And so, Lord, help us to remember that and to trust in you in that. And Lord, I do want to pray for America. I pray for our country. We have no reason to presume, Lord, that you would dare send another revival to this nation. But Lord, you have sent them over and over again. You have awakened people to their need for Jesus Christ. You have awakened them to their sin and to your glory and to your mercy. And so, Lord, we ask, would you do that for this nation again? Would you wake your church from her slumbers? Would you wake people from their ignorance, their, their turning away from the truth? And Lord, would you send your spirit to awaken our country one more time? to have many people call out for you, to seek you, and to trust in you. And so, Lord, we, we are commending all of these things into your hand because we know that you are righteous, that you have promised to provide, that you will care for us, Lord, that all of history will play out according to your plan for your purpose. And so, Lord, in the end, we can finally say, come, Lord Jesus, return, rule. If you'd all stand for the final song.